Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and we, excuse me, I, since I'm all by myself tonight, my, both my co-hosts are off running around the world. Anyways, I'm here with a great guest tonight that you are really going to enjoy, and we're diving deep into mysticism and psilocybin and other things, too. So we're going to get to all these Great ideas and great things that are happening. Something good is happening in our country with this, finally. So looking forward to introducing our guests in just a couple minutes. But first I wanted to mention our guest next week is going to be Dr. Bernard Beitman. He has a new book out. It's all about synchronicity and coincidences. How do they happen? Why do they happen? He's going to tell us all about that. And on the 21st of September, we've got our good friend Craig Campobasso. He is coming back. As you know, he did the documentary and a couple of other films, too, on UFOs, but one on Valiant Thor, who supposedly visited the White House, and Craig has the proof. But along with that, he has a new book coming out. And he's going to talk to us about all the different alien races and what they're up to. We're going to find out right from Craig. Now, if you haven't gone to our Facebook page, please go there, like us, follow us, so you can keep up with all the great UFO stories that are circulating from everywhere. People have had their cameras out, and they are taking incredible photos of UFOs in their backyard, in the skies. It's amazing. So don't miss the stories that we're posting on all of that. It's truly incredible. People have just really uh, gotten excited about looking at the skies. Some people are involved with Dr. Stephen Greer's groups, and I hear he's got one coming up next weekend where you can even do it from being online. You can join in, call down the ETs, Get your cameras ready, take photos, see if you can communicate with everybody. I am sure our government is tearing their hair out over Stephen Greer, and that is what makes me want to do this even more. So I suggest you all look into his new weekend experience that's coming up and see if you want to join in, be it in person or over the Internet. Either way, I think it's going to be an exciting weekend for everybody. And be sure to also check some of the and all of the things that we have on our homepage, supernaturalgirls.com. Dr. Weber, you know about Dr. Weber. He was on the show. He's the one that invented the laser watch, the laser IV. He has a new and improved watch coming out. And I just heard from him today. I am not sure exactly when it's going to be available, but he said soon, so I'm guessing within the next few weeks. 
I'll let you all know so you can look at it. He said this one is a better design, and it is much more powerful. So for those of us that have watches that are laser watches from Dr. Weber, we can look into this one as well. Very exciting stuff. Dr. Weber is always inventing something that we can use. So I'll keep you alerted to its drop date so you can take a look at it for yourselves. But really important laser work that can clean up a lot in our bodies and make us healthier. I've used mine for about five years, and I love it. So tonight we are going to be talking about mysticism, psilocybin, mental health, all kinds of things with our guest, Bob Rochelot. He presents on numerous topics encompassing personal religious experience and cosmic reality. He's well-versed in psychedelic journeying. He has had several profound experiences of his own, and he's provided safe, guided psychedelic experiences for individuals and groups, numbering over 300 people in total. He's a pilgrim, author, and former travel guide to sacred sites and places of peace and power, including ancient Maya sites, Sedona, and the rainforest. He has studied and practiced with indigenous elders, and he is a minister under the order of Melchizedek. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm so thrilled you're here because this is a leading-edge topic, and you are right there. Knowing so much about this, uh, we are all learning, and so we're happy to have you here so the audience can benefit from your knowledge and your experiences in Mexico and, and other places where all of this is legal. But it is starting to become legal here in certain counties and states in this country. I want to mention that right off the bat. And it, it is a fascinating topic with people getting real healing. I mean real healing, not masking symptoms. And that's what this is all about. So how did you get involved in all of it? Well, it all started one day in the college campus back in the 80s when I first uh, consumed some magic mushrooms with a few friends of mine, and we walked through the pathways of the college campus in nature, and that's my first experience of feeling and sensing the oneness of, of energy all around me, and, and it was, that was, that's a fascinating and a primary experience with mushrooms is you feel a connectedness to all things, and after that, after the walk, I went back to a, a dorm room and was listening to Mozart, and I turned to my, my friend and I said, Jack, I think this is what Nirvana feels like, because <laughs> with, the, with the heightened orchestration of Mozart's brilliant notes, coupled with the mushrooms and what was happening, I was feeling what I had read about from the Hindus and the Buddhist uh, teachers uh, what the experience of these high spiritual enlightened experiences were, which they one of the terms they used was nirvana. So that mm. was my first introduction to the magic mushrooms and to psychedelics in, in general. And then several years later, after a two-year stint in the Peace Corps, I went down, I decided to do a, a pilgrimage down to Mexico to go visit these Mayan sites. When I grew up, my dad always had a lot of different books around the house. 
He had Edgar Casey books, which I read, but he also had these old Time Life coffee table books, which would be the ancient mysteries and the, the sacred places and all these mysterious places, the, pil- the pyramids in Egypt, the pyramids in the Maya land. So I, I was presented all this in my young mind from an early age, and as I got older, I was very drawn towards pilgrimage, and I've always been very spiritual and very much driven towards not only just service, but towards understanding what is this personal spiritual experience that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling and having and driven by. And so as part of that, I decided to go and do a three-week pilgrimage to uh, ancient Maya sites down in the Yucatan and Chiapas, Mexico. And I made my way down to the rainforest where the ancient site of Palenque is. And I I came to find out that adjacent to the rainforest, there were these cow fields. And in the cow fields grew psilocybin cubensis, which is the classic magic mushroom. Hmm. And so my, my first time down there, I decided to go and I didn't know what to do, where to buy mushrooms, but I knew they were growing right in the field. So my experience with them was to pick fresh mushrooms. And I brought them into the rainforest, and I sat on a little remote temple that was away from the touristy area, and I gave thanks, and I set an intention of wanting to learn and to grow and to experience, and that I was open. And I consumed the mushrooms, and I closed my eyes. And so that really began this methodical pursuit with the mushrooms in a a very limited ritual practice, but of sitting still with my eyes closed and going within. And how did you know how much to take? Well, we knew roughly from what we had been experimenting with in college and then in my post-college years, I had done. I was. I had continued doing psychedelics in different environments, but I had never done mushrooms where I just took them by myself and closed my eyes and went within. I had done yeah. it once previously with LSD, um, and I can talk about those experiences. They are very profound experiences. So what happened in this country, we were talking about this before we went live tonight, is really a shame because these things became criminalized in the United States. So it's illegal to use these in a number of of areas, in most areas in the country. However, I think, let's see, what county was it in California that started off a grassroots movement to decriminalize it, and they successfully did that in, in a couple of counties out there. Do you know if all of California is now accepting this, or is it just those few counties? I think it's just a few counties. It's more open in Cal- uh, Oregon and Colorado mm-hmm. where they're working on drafting the legislation of how this is actually going to look. Is it going to be all through a therapeutic setting, meaning that the individual citizen won't be able to go and purchase psychedelics for their own use and they'll instead they'll have to go through a therapeutic institution to do it and so that's where the activists are really going to be aggressive in all these different states is to ensure that there's access to the psychedelics and that they're not controlled by big pharma 
companies, and they're not so limited by the government that the only way you get it is to go through the healthcare institutions. Yeah, that's really a great a great thing to do. It's quite a task, but it did did pass in several counties in, in California just that way. So people can just do this on their own, and it's not regulated by big pharma, which is, I think, extremely important, especially when it comes to something like psilocybin. But um, we lost out, didn't we, when this became criminalized? We really lost a, a lot to do with our mental health, some options that people could have used that they then found they couldn't because they were criminalizing mushrooms and plants so that we couldn't use them and instead had to take, if somebody had uh, depression or anxiety, uh, nope, they weren't allowed to use this. They had to use a prescription drug with side effects. Then it may work for some people, but the, the truth of the matter is this was, was uh, removed from our reality as a possibility by criminalizing it. It's, to me, it's, just a, it's worse than a shame. This is a real tragedy. Because look at our mental health situation today. So many people that are in need of real help, and they're not getting it. You're right. And it really it has held back progress for psychedelic therapeutics and for the exploration of, of the psychedelics and the effects upon human beings. In 1955, that's when our God, Gordon Wasson, uh, met Maria Sabina in the hills of Oaxaca in Mexico and first ingested as a Western person uh, the magic mushrooms. And so he, he brought them back to the scientists at Harvard and other institutions, and it's those institutions, along with Abby Hoffman, who he actually synthesized the mushrooms that Gar Gordon Wasson had given him. So the inventor of LSD took to the task of the mushroom, breaking it down and identified and named the psilocybin in it. And to this mm. day, in, right now in the United States and in other countries, there's several institutions. Most of them are tied to hospitals or to universities like Yale University or John Hopkins. And uh, they're using psilocybin, and it's synthetic psilocybin that's based on the formulation that Albert Hoffman originally created. So this man was a genius. <laughs> he okay. created, he discovered LSD, and he synthesized psilocybin. Uh, but as we know, the U.S. government was in the forefront of psychedelic uh, experiences, bringing in patients and people and observing them. And I think the word got out that these are very powerful and can. You become, you end up having a super mind when you're on mushrooms, and someone probably in back in the 1950s in the government didn't like that idea of people having super minds, and so yeah. Nixon, when he, he was going to actually legalize marijuana, but then with all the studies that were coming out with LSD and with the mushrooms, instead the administration turned in the opposite direction and made all the psychedelics illegal, and so that's where we've been for the last. 70 years almost, and it was only recently that institutions with John Hopkins leading the way were allowed to use, start using the psilocybin mushroom as a compound for psychedelic therapy and for testing and for analysis and for studies. And now there are dozens of institutions doing it. They're working with cancer patients. They're working with having success with PTSD, with depression, OCD, alcoholism, 
anxiety. It's such a, it's probably, psilocybin may go down as one of the most wonderful healing drugs ever to be encountered by the human race. And I feel that we're going to see in the next 20 to 30 years, and in this country in particular, a great healing of many individuals who have some form of mental health challenge that's really hindering them in their in their life, in the quality of their life, and they're going to get healed by the mushrooms, by the psilocybin, because what we're seeing in the studies coming out of Yale, John Hopkins, and these other institutions is that 9 out of 10 of the people taking them are having positive experiences. And what that means is someone on, who is clinically depressed is, has found that that depression has left them because of the personal spiritual experience they had in the reality during the time on the psilocybin mushroom. And so we're gonna, that's going to start having an effect as each state legalizes this therapy. And the second thing is I believe we're going to see a lot of are people who are ingesting the psilocybin and are coming up with brilliant ideas, mm. ideas and technology, ideas, solutions for society, for governance, for justice, for general well-being. Even if we think about Steve Jobs, his, his, the streamlined design of Apple, what is the signature visual when you see an Apple product, that streamlined smoothness came out of a psychedelic journey. That's and, incredible. Yeah, and so a lot of these leading technologists have had mind breakthroughs while on the psychedelics, and they've applied them in, in the business world. And so I can see people who have higher altruistic thoughts, people who are in upper echelons of governments and, and global institutions who will augment their altruism and their drive with a, a super intelligent mind that will help them to see solutions, to see connections, to see the unity of things, and to bring about change based on their experiences and what, and what they've figured out while on the mushrooms. That's going to be just beyond remarkable. And, yeah, because people that don't have any mental health challenges who are taking this, or even if they do, it, but can use this to create something stupendous for our culture, for our planet. Yeah. And it just, from what I understand, and, again, I'm a neophyte when it comes to understanding how mushrooms heal and how they work together, but it appears to be a connected intelligence that can reformulate and change things very easily. It's kind of, but it's not, a, it's like an AI, but it's not AI. It's real intelligence that knows what needs to happen for healing, that knows what needs to happen for someone to have that breakthrough. It's almost like it comes into the system and then it, it helps in, in ways you can't even imagine to get somebody out of their depression permanently. Yeah, well, when you're talking about someone who has depression and the kind of the permanent removal of that depression thickness that they have, uh, that's happening on a neuro, on the, in the neural pathways within the brain, and it's 
there's a lot of things that are happening while that's taking place, but one of them is a breakdown of individuality and a kind of like a restructuring of one's awareness of one's individualness. And what people are finding is that they're not who they think they are. And oftentimes when we have mental challenges, it's because of who we think we are and who we are in relation to the external world we're living in. And that mm-hmm. has a great bearing. That's, you know, we, people wear it on their sleeves. This is who we are. And the mushrooms help to break that down and reconfigure and show you more of who you are. And people may not use the term spiritual in it, but their better self, you know, they see who they are and their wholeness. And they, they, they're almost seeing themselves through the lens of a higher being who's looking down upon them and, and sees them for who they truly are, who sees them as having everything within them right there, and it's just an unfolding. It's as if God is unfolding in each individual personally, and just like each of our fingerprints is different, that unfoldment's different, and the mushrooms help to evaporate or make disappear the things that we think we are, all these limitations that we set up inside of ourselves, and it helps to see more clearly who we really are. Very powerful. Now, mushrooms are connected, though, to each other, from what I understand. They'll connect through an entire forest, right? Yes. Yeah, that's stunning. Uh, They've seen this in ancient forest systems where one tree will send nutrients to another tree via the mycelia network of the mushrooms. So the mushroom that we know as a classic mushroom is the fruiting body of the mycelium, and that's the fungus, and that's operating underground. And so in this symbiotic relationship in the ancient forest, nutrients are traveling through the mycelia from one tree to to, to another that's short on whatever it is that it needs. And they've measured that, so, and it's just stunning. Um, that is. Those, I mean, it is it is like, you know, there, there's the source energy. I mean, there's God energy in that because it knows what it needs. It knows how to get it there. It doesn't have to be trained to do it. It just does it. It knows what has to be done. And I think the same thing happens in the human body when people use these things. It does. It, I I think it, people will say you you go into a psychedelic journey when you're taking some of these and you you're just open. You can't really choreograph what the experience is going to be like. You can't say, oh, I want this to happen, or I'm looking to grow this way. I'm looking for this. The mushrooms experience will they'll always be different you'll never have exactly the same experience and you get the experience kind of what your higher self really needs you to have not the experience that you think you need uh and that's mm-hmm. i think that shows gives us a hint of the intelligence that's behind the the psychedelic mushroom the source of these mushrooms are off planetary um there's a vast order of sake of of orders of of beings that you can identify with and associate with on a mushroom journey. And they're they're resident at these different levels of this cosmic mind, which one is able to enter through, through one's mind and one's intention and the state of being that one's holding with the mushrooms. And they come from 
just because all these higher beings are here, we can sense that the, the origin of the mushrooms and what they're doing for the human being is so spiritual. It's so important. And I, I, there's really nothing like it even in the psychedelic realms, uh, meaning LSD, uh, what MDMA, which they call a psychedelic, or ketamine. They all have these different experiences, DMT. But the mushrooms really, there's an, organi- it's, um, there's an organization of intelligent beings that are not humans that are available within the the mushroom experience on certain levels, on certain levels. Uh, And so for me, I feel that the the source of the mushrooms is sacred. And the Mixtec and the Zapotec Indians of the Oaxaca region of Mexico say that where, where the mushrooms grow, where Christ walked. So they're affiliating where the mushrooms grow is a sacred thing. And they've actually have seen this Christ being on on journeys in the mushroom and so they have a mm. very sacred origin for the mushrooms. Yeah, that's that makes sense. There is so much power in this and healing. And hopefully we'll all get a chance to experience it if we want to. You said now in Massachusetts what is the situation because I am getting some texts from people. Where does it stand in Massachusetts right now? What are we what are we doing? It's moved slow. So for a few things, four municipalities in Massachusetts have decriminalized the possession and use of psychedelics. That are Cambridge, Somerville, Northampton, and East Hampton. And so basically these municipalities are doing what Massachusetts had done with marijuana before they made it legal. They decriminalized it. Now the state of Massachusetts has a task force set up to look at psychedelics and how this would actually roll out in the state of Massachusetts. Right now, they're focusing entirely on the therapeutic benefits and in the therapeutic setting with psychiatrists and mental health care workers. Um, And they were going to open it up to a lot of different parties, uh, different stakeholder groups, but then they changed it in 2022 and made this small group of just legislative folks. And so they, I have not seen any public hearings on it yet, and I don't know where it stands, but it's moving a lot slower than the original mandate, which took was back in March or April of last year. So we're, hmm. sometime at the end of this year, we should have a little more guidance about what is going on and to get a lot more input. And one of my goals is to ensure that we include not only we know that they're going to legalize it for therapeutic use but i would love to see them legalize uh for the recreational use as well at least on the microdose level where people can take small doses of the mushroom during every few days and so and allow it to have its transformative effects in this mild kind of sub-perceptual way um but i'm also want to be a strong advocate to allow people to be able to purchase these psychedelics. But now we're dealing with government agencies, and people are scared who haven't done psychedelics and say, what would we be opening up here? Because you hear the old stories, people falling off of buildings, doing silly things, and endangering other people. And so it's one thing to be high on marijuana. It's another thing to be out there driving on mushrooms in a car. 
no one should be right. driving a car on mm-hmm. mushrooms. Okay, you no. can smoke a mm-hmm. smoke a joint and go drive, and you're probably safer than the guy who just drank six beers. But you don't want to be doing psychedelics and being in the public and and putting yourself or other people at danger. So that's going to be a big road for the state of Massachusetts and other states to just say, oh yeah, we're going to let everyone go down here and just go to the cannabis stores and pick up mushrooms. Uh, I don't I don't quite see that happening right away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some concerns, and people do make dumb decisions sometimes when uh, other substances are involved. But yeah, there's. I hope that they'll find ways around this that that do make sense. And because it, it concerns me when it gets into that medical model, because then it gets very expensive also. And ketamine is a good example of that. Ketamine works. It works in a different way than psilocybin, but it is a psychedelic, and people are getting great results with it. And now, if you want it, you can pay through the nose for it. It's quite pricey. So I think six doses, the prices seem to be fixed across the board, um, over $1,200. Now, what you get with that is the medical model. You have a practitioner that gives you your dose. You have a health coach that helps you other things. You have an integrated group situation if you want that. So there is a support system, which is nice, and they ask you to pick somebody who will sit with you through your session, which lasts 90 minutes each time. So there, there's some safety factors that they did take into account when they put this together, but it's quite expensive. So it's it's out of the reach of a lot of people who really need it, I think. So, yeah, it's important, I think, to keep going down this path and see what can be done that's also cost-effective for people because it's, it's not an incentive when you can use your insurance and go to the pharmacy and just get something, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't work that great. <clears throat> but just a typical antidepressant, you can get it covered by insurance. So, yeah, choices have to be made. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And even the Biden administration came out a week or so ago and even mentioned the word psychedelics. And it's interesting that that's happening on a federal level. And it's concerning to me because on the federal level, if they regulate it, it goes to the FDA. And now you've got big pharma in there with all their millions and hundreds Mm -hmm. of millions and they can really dictate how this thing unfolds. So I'm, I'm hoping that Massachusetts and these other states will open up and be able to legalize it in their form without having Big Brother, the federal government, overseeing and putting the FDA on top of it. Because what I see right now when I look up these companies that are the psychedelic companies, they're, they're all just synthesizing psilocybic mushrooms they're doing they're they're doing things to it so they can patent certain parts right. of it for their, yep. their use but they do yeah yeah, yeah. The one thing they won't That's be able to patent do. though are the actual compounds which are the psychedelic compounds the psilocybin the psilocin uh the Baocetin, the norbaocetin, these are the other psychedelic compounds that are found in there. And mm-hmm. so people like myself, what we'd like to see is these small companies that are extracting this from the mushrooms and providing these capsules uh, or other methods of ingestion for people and, and to keep big farmer 
Oh, out of, of it, it completely. Yeah. yeah. Just like they're uh, not they're not really yeah. in, you know, marijuana in Massachusetts. It's all it's a lot of small well, kind of small businesses. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely agree with you. I think it it has to be kept at this level and it's unfortunate, but we have to be very vigilant about what goes on with the FDA. They're not our friend. They're friend of big pharma. And what about for, I just had a text from somebody that wants to know what if is there a way that people can get involved uh on the ground and and make a difference with this? Is there are there groups they can contact and say I want to be a part of this being decriminalized? I am not a, there are some psychedelic groups that I'm aware of and associated with and they're more in the therapeutic side of of things and not on the activist side. I don't have mm-hmm. a handle on what the process is and how it's going to open up to the public in Massachusetts, but I what I would suggest is that people stay on top, you know, look at the gov- the Mass government website and try to get on the list when they notify people that a hearing or public hearing is going to come up and you know, be a part of it. There are some law firms that are getting involved, and you you got to give a little shout-out to them because it was a lot of these guys in the legal world that made that gave Massachusetts the liberal marijuana laws. Um, so there, mm-hmm. are, there are some really good lawyers out there that are doing a really good job of making sure there's accessibility. Um, so as far, I, I don't know of any direct organization yet because I haven't seen – I've seen so little activity from the state itself. I'm not sure uh, – anything has emerged yet on the activist side to uh, Mm -hmm. speak the voice of the people. Yeah, because that's how they did it in California. Excuse me, they they did it from that level. Feet on the ground kind of thing, brought it in front of their their, uh, lawmakers and says, this is what we want, and they passed it. So I'd like to see something like that happen here. I think it would be great. But these mystical experiences, now... When I was growing up, too, we were all expected to listen to adults and saying, you need to be scared to death of these things. You know, they they could damage your mind forever, and you might never come back. I mean, I can still remember the stories from teachers and parents, and, oh, it was awful programming. But that's not the way it really is. And you have had personal experiences that have been, Amazing, transformative. So can you share some of that with us tonight? Sure. I've had a lot of different experiences, and I've, I've spent a lot of time in the psychedelic mind environment. And my favorite way to go about doing it is what I had mentioned earlier, where I sit down, I consume them, and then I, I close my eyes and I go within and so my, from the very beginning, when I was in the rainforest down in Palenque, and I picked these fresh mushrooms and I sat outside uh, on a temple, I knew from just studying pilgrimage and having been to many sacred sites that intention is so important, where people go to these sacred sites and, uh, and they, they bring their love and their prayers and are looking for healing. And it's always these altruistic and and divine and spiritual intentions. And so I, was, I knew it was important to have a, 
a high spiritual intention or a high personal intention going into doing a, a journey. And so I started giving thanks and setting a, my noble intention and then I offered pra- I offered prayers of guidance. I sought guidance, which is a form of prayer. So I reached out to that which is unknown, which is beyond me, and asked for this guidance. And I trusted, and this is one of the most important things, is to trust. All these psychedelic journeys, they're all, it's a good experience. It's a, it's a learning experience. It's a growth experience. And what we have to do is, is trust the process. Um, I was watching the Netflix documentary with Michael Pollan, and they had a gentleman there who had OCD, and he trusted the experience and had, and by letting go, he transformed himself, and he his OCD ended in one journey, one one six-hour experience. His lifetime of OCD was gone. And he that's trusted. So he fantastic. Trusted. I love it. Yeah. So what ended up happening for me one day is there's a cave in the rainforest in Palenque, and I, gathered, I harvested my mushrooms and I brought them in, and I walked into the cave, and there's a little stream of water that flows through it. And I was about 80 feet deep into the cave and far enough in where no one would come in and, and bother me. And I built a little stone seat so I could sit and my feet were in the water because the creek was the was the stream was running through and in this particular occasion I gave thanks I set my intention and I ingested the mushrooms and I closed my eyes and what I find is this is a, a situation that will go on for about four to six hours with the mushroom journey and so throughout the time I'm sitting in silence I'm praying, I'm giving thanks, and then I realized what was really happening was I was worshiping because I was striving to create a space in my mind for the habitation of divinity, for a connection with with these higher spiritual forces and personalities and circuits and what have you. And so... By that intention of not looking at what's in front of me, but keep on moving any, any of the images that are coming in, in in my visual field through my closed eyes, these beautiful psychedelic fractals and these pyramids of gold and all these mudras and sacred images that you see in Hinduism, they're all fascinating in the beginning. But then I wanted to go beyond that. I was like, these are just images. And then I had started moving them away and peering through them and finding out what's there. And I eventually came to a place of silence where there was no thought in my mind and no thoughts were coming into my mind. And I arrived at the first time at the place of what is called silence. And there was a true stillness there. And that is the most holy and sacred place I've ever been because it's so delicate and it's so subtle, yet it's so real and it sits behind all the vibration of, of our lives, all the manifestation, all the, all the thoughts and all the words and all the, the, 
visuals we see and all the things we hear, I was in this space of silence. How powerful. And that's extremely powerful. And, and from there, I was breathing in, and I learned the sacred breath. And, you know, there's, I always remember about Vipassana and all these different breath techniques of breathing. And you have to breathe, and it's so tied with prana and with, and with silence and stuff. And the breath overtook me, and I was taught by the mushrooms how to breathe properly and this beautiful, beautiful breath. And it's, this breathing was also responsible in a way for the silence. It was, it was related to the silence as well. And mm. then I heard, I heard this choir of a, like a thousand voices, and I call it the angel's choir. And I just heard this glorious like toning they were doing, like an ah sound, like ah. And as soon as I thought, as soon as I was experiencing it, I made a thought. And as soon as I had that thought, I got kicked out of the whole process. I couldn't hear them anymore, oh. and I was no longer silent. And I felt like I created like a little earthquake in my, in my mind. Oh, no. And I immediately settled down and came back to the silence, which I was surprised. I got right back into it. And then I could hear the angels again. And after a while, this, they they stopped, and I was just sitting in the silence. That is so powerful. And then, all of a sudden, I see in my mind's eye this white-lighted cross. So it's mm. a cross of white light, and it has a aura of brilliant purple around it. And on the outside of that aura... There's this band of shimmering magnetic gold. And this wasn't an image like the other psychedelic images I was telling you about with the, the fractals and stuff. This was an image that came out of this still mind and was in my third eye and, and took up my whole visual field in my, with my eyes closed. Mm. And so I looked at the center of the cross, and then my eyes came and I followed down to the base of the cross and I noticed that the cross was now a stairway going up. And on the first stairway, there was a man and woman, two human beings. Then on the stairway above them, there were these be two beings that were light beings. But they kind of had a human form. And then on the next level, there was a light, one light being that looked very much different and I could, I could discern this orb, but I couldn't discern much else. And on the next four level stairways, there was a different light being. So we have a stairway with humans at the bottom stair and then six other levels of these light beings. And when I, so when I got up to the top of the stairway, I was looking at the light being at the top, and a voice came in my head and said, these are the orders of the sons of God. Mm. It's like, okay. like, oh, wow. So I'm sitting there and I'm observing and <laughs> yeah, I'm listening to, to this voice. Yeah. So then my eyes were drawn towards the center of the cross. So now I'm looking into the center and I see that down there, down in that center somewhere is the source of this light that's the whole cross. 
So my attention is drawn there, and I'm kind of penetrating with my eyes down this hallway, so to speak, of light. And eventually I arrive at the source of the light, and I can sense there's a being there, and this being is emanating this light. And as I'm sitting in the presence of this one emanating this being, I hear that, I hear the following, that this being who is a source of the light, all the, other, all the sons and daughters of God are in alignment and in service to the one who is the source of the light. And I was overwhelmed. I was someone was speaking to me inside my mind and was giving me this information and the source of the light was the one who incarnated as Jesus of Nazareth 2000 years ago. So oh I'm sitting goodness. there in front of it and this being did not speak. It it was there was a voice that was separate telling me that this source of the light that the sons of God all are in service to the source of this light. And I came to understand that there's a big universe going on and that there's these more than just humans here. And there's, I am not seeing any angels, but there's, there's all these orders of beings. <laughs> so yeah. long story short, pull back out of that experience and I'm sitting looking at the cross and then it slowly fades away. But I was left with this incredible information that the source of the light in this in this experience was was Jesus Christ. And I grew up Catholic, and I went to church every day till I was eighteen. But I was no, and I loved Jesus dearly. I loved reading the stories about him. But my mind was quote unquote so open that I was going to find my spirituality anyway. I didn't have, I wasn't beholden to anything. I mean, I'm sitting in a cave in a mine temple structure yeah. in the rainforest <laughs> right. and 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 christ appears in this this symbol and he i can sense his presence right there at the at the origin of the light and that you know one of the takeaways was these beings so this is this wasn't so much this is more of a revelation than a healing experience or some new mind thing that i learned this was mm-hmm. this was giving me information about that i found would be more valuable to me down the road so that's right. just one experience. Um, and then when I and read, me, I just, go on. Let me just ask you, when you have an experience like that and you're, you're sitting in a cave for four hours or four hours plus, do you lose touch with your physical body? Because that's a long time to be sitting, uh, especially on stone. So do you lose touch with your physical body, but, you know, you come back to it? And you're feeling okay? You don't feel, like, stiff and, like, oh, my God, I've been sitting here for so long? Well, I, I was about 32 years old at the time, and I was in pretty good shape. And I, the seat was just right, so I was, even though it was made of stone, it was quite comfortable. And I have my feet in the water the whole time as well. Um, oh, okay. But, so I lose sight of the body occasionally through the practice i mean you'll do that if you sit long enough in meditation you're gonna here and there you'll lose sight of the of the body and then Mm -hmm. it'll come back to you like oh yeah i'm here in my body and if you move a little bit that's sore but i've never (laughs) i've sat many times like that period when when that image appeared that was probably six to eight hours into the experience 
It was well on oh my the goodness. end of the experience, and I had just been still sitting there. And just of note, all my primary spiritual experiences, that being one of them, all took place after sitting for more than six or seven hours near water. Wow. Oh, always yeah. near water. Okay. All of them near water as well. Why yeah. do you think that's a factor? I don't know. I think I'm just drawn to water. My last name's Rochelot, Rochelot, mm-hmm. Rochelot, and it's rocks and water. So I've, I think I might have a, uh, a, an affinity to rocks and water, and I've always sat around them. And maybe that's just because that's where I choose to sit, that the experience happens around water. Um, but mm-hmm. as we know from Siddhartha and from the, the great Hindu sadhus, that sitting along the water um, can teach us many great things, and we can learn a lot uh, with the sound of water. It's great for meditation and for contemplation and what have you. Yeah. Well, you walked away with some very primal knowledge So from that experience. So that was just one of many for you, right? Yeah. And that, you know, just one thing I wanted to say, too, a few years later, I came across the Urantia book, and oh, the Urantia yeah. book in it lists all these orders of divine beings. So there's like the sons and the daughters of God. There's all the angelic orders and stuff. And so when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, my God, this this is exactly what my revelation was about. It was that there's all these orders, and they all are in this universe and they're all working in coordination with this divine being who's here and so that the book kind of confirmed what i had what my experience was i I found that for me that was very satisfying um yeah to see that there's actually information about this because i'd never had seen anything like that i'd never heard of the sons of god only in the only in the bible but the sons of god weren't these orders of beings like these are different distinct orders and the humans are just the lowest one of them and as they as you as these ascended there there are higher and higher light beings at each ascension Incredible. Yeah, that's a lot of information that you got. I'm sure there was more, too, but, my goodness, that's a lot to walk away with that. It's quite a gift, quite a gift. And you weren't disturbed by anybody, so nobody came into the cave and bothered you, like you said. You were safe in No. There. Now, I, I've done several journeys in that cave, and I remember one time I heard a couple of tours, and they had a light, but I made some weird strange tone sound and they skadoodled they made a they made a screech and they skadoodled so they never actually saw me they just heard a sound coming from this cave and they're like because there's no human in there so yeah whatever <laughs> it is we don't want to see it yeah 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 oh that's great that's great so mexico feels like home to you part of my heart is in mexico um it, it, Mexico opened itself up to me. I, all, all the indigenous elders, I've met leaders of so many of the indi, my indigenous Maya, both in Mexico and Guatemala, but particularly Mexico. And it was just the doors were just opened for me. It was it's real. It was really quite you know interesting to look at it from an impersonal standpoint, from an objective standpoint, yeah. what was happening in my life. Uh, I was working in 1993 at a independent radio station in Portland, Oregon called KBU. And mm-hmm. I was the finance manager there. And one day 
1992, actually, uh, a phone call came, and a gentleman had a Mayan elder who was coming through the area and wanted to see if someone could interview him on the uh, radio show. And so, and that was four months before I was already planning to go and do my Mayan journey. So my first interview on on the radio is with a Mayan elder, Humbatsmen, from the Yucatan. And it wow. set up perfectly for my journey, which was taking place a few months later. So I, I met up with him and learned from him and did ceremony with him and went to a few sites, and he taught me a lot about the information at these sites. And it never ended from there, uh, the, the different Mayan elders that I was brought to. Uh, That's it was, incredible. Really, it was what really quite a, blessed. Yeah, what a sacred walk that was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And now, is that a part of your lineage also? Because it seems like you're a good fit for these Mayan elders. Uh, is it a... Is, is it back in your, in your heritage? I mean, do you have some relation, some, some, uh, some relatives? Not way that back? I'm aware of, no. It's rumored that we have some Native American in us, but some of the mm-hmm. DNA results don't really show that. I think what right. we have here in the Americas is that a lot of us are born with the indigenous spirit. And mm-hmm. so a lot of us are drawn to Native American culture or even the Mesoamerican cultures. And I'm really strongly drawn to, to both the Native American and the Mesoamerican cultures. And they've just been so open arms with me and with because i think they they can see this you know people with good hearts and genuine intention and good you know sincerity this people all over the world the spiritual ones are always open up and receptive to those who are seeking and and wanting to sincerely you know learn yes and and again you're one of the people that that walks with this whole psychedelic experience as a sacred experience and that makes a big difference to indigenous people as opposed to just using this stuff for you know uh just for fun it's this is very sacred this is a very spiritual path and i think a lot of people are looking for this right now so it's wonderful that you can lead the way and let people know it's safe because as i mentioned before we had so much fear mongering over all of this uh, for so many years, and so it's nice to hear these experiences where you felt safe and you were in the presence of such beautiful light and and wisdom. So that's what people can look forward to with this type of thing. Now, was this always with psilocybin or magic mushrooms, or did you also do ayahuasca when you were in Mexico? Even though that's not really a Mexican thing, is it? It's not really a me- it's not a Mexican thing, and I did do some ayahuasca in a ceremony and in a, a hotel in Mexico years ago, and that was fine. It wasn't it wasn't done properly. It was some Western people, and there was other psychedelics there, so I couldn't really differentiate the ayahuasca mm-hmm. from the DMT, the San Pedro cactus, and some other things that were taking place there. Um, wow, quite a mix. I yeah. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to participate in peyote meetings with the Native American church, with some Native mm-hmm. Americans, and, and that's, that's a whole other conversation, and that's a yeah, whole lifestyle <laughs> as well, and there's a lot of value there. Um, and I've done LSD, 
and had some amazing experience as well. But I'm really my my DNA, my my soul is more is with the, the psilocybic mushrooms and the the beans who are associated with it. If mm-hmm. I could, I share another story. Please, yes. So in the same cave, the year before, I did the same ritual. I ingested mushrooms. I sat on my stone seat and had my feet in the water. And towards the end of this journey, maybe six or eight hours in or so, um, so I've now was, I wasn't at the place of stillness yet, but I was still, my mind, I could have thoughts not coming in, but it didn't, it, was, it wasn't like the stillness that I experienced the following year. But my mind mm-hmm. was very clear, and this eagle feather appeared horizontally across the visual field of my third eye. And it was a white feather, and the tips of it were the colors of the rainbow. Wow. Nice. And, and so I'm sitting there, and I see this clearly just in the air in, in my third eye. And this voice speaks and says, I am from the rainbow clan, the rainbow eagle clans. And I'm sitting, so this is a voice talking in my mind to me. And it says that the Rainbow Eagle Clan is made up of those people both from the past and the present who have held love in their hearts and have worked for their communities and have helped the progress of their people to move forward in peace and love. And it started, this voice started to go on and it said, humans have to understand that they have a common origin They have a common heritage and a common destiny. And it kept on repeating these concepts of common origin, heritage, and destiny in different ways. And it was trying to get me to, I think it was trying to get me to understand the depth of what it was saying. And one of the things I came away with was that our origin is of a dual nature. And that common origin is that we are all humans born on planet Earth, but we also, each of us, have a divine fragment of the eternal God within us. And so we're mm-hmm. a dual origin. And this dual origin, though, for us is our common origin. And it started talking about that what we have in common is more important than all our differences, and that our Differences will always be greater in the minds and the, of, of men when we want to fight each other. We can, it's so easy to pick out why we're different and why we don't like other, other people and types right. of people. Yes. And this was telling me that we need to focus on the, sim- the simple truth and facts of our common origin and our heritage. And the heritage it talked about was the heritage of this planet and the destiny of this planet and the destiny of our human race. And that oh we have got to come together and work together to fulfill our common destiny. And it, I got these impressions that our destiny was just not tied to this world, but it was tied to something that was much bigger in the expanded cosmos. Mm-hmm. And then the voice came in and said that this Rainbow Eagle Clan is a transplanetary association of mortals. And 
I was I was stunned because it was such new information. I'd never thought of mortals on other planets before. Like I, I understood the Hindu concept that Brahma births infinite worlds, but I never mm-hmm. really thought of other humans like ourselves living on other worlds. We always think of aliens in there, something other than us. But right. I got this firm impression that there's these mortals living in all these in these other worlds, and they're very much like us. Mm-hmm. And so that this. This Rainbow Eagle Clan was people who held love in their hearts and worked for peace and worked for the goodness of their communities and their families and their nations. And that this affiliation is transplanetary, so it includes other planets, but it also includes the past and the present. And I was seeing images of shamans and holy people from different cultures that I perceived were living at the time in the 90s when I had this experience. Uh, so that, that, that was just a, another stunning yeah. experience. Again, it's giving me yeah. information about uh, orders of beings and things that are more than just a personal spiritual experience. Well, yes, and it, it helps to expand your awareness and ours, too, listening to you share this about how vast our universe is that we are a part of. And it is so important to see things with new eyes. And it sounds like that's one of the things that psilocybin gives you, is that ability to see things like that, that are so holy and so powerful. It's amazing. Now, people can use psilocybin at a higher dose to have experiences like this. But then they can also do what's being called a microdose. Tell us about that. How are people using microdose psilocybin? So a microdose of psilocybin is just a very small amount. Um, in general, we could say if someone's going to do a journey, we, they may take three grams of dried mushrooms. A microdose would be just a fraction of that. And what a lot of people are doing now is taking one-fifth of a gram as a microdose. So when this is ingested, you don't feel, you're not going to feel like you're tripping, you people have various experiences with it but it's basically promoting a sense of well-being it's helping to organize thoughts or it boosts one's creativity uh, some of the other effects are it, it relieves the anxiety that people feel day to day allows them to relax so there's all these holistic subtle benefits that happen through microdosing and there are different regimes or ways of doing the microdosing uh, one of the things is if you take the mushrooms every day if you took mushrooms every day eventually you won't feel anything because you can't keep on taking it's not like alcohol you can drink alcohol every day and get drunk you'd eventually just not feel anything. So with microdosing, on a journey where you may do a journey and never do one again or do one next year, microdosing is an ongoing process that may last one or two or more months. And what you do, what I started with last November, I started microdosing, and I would take 200 milligrams, one-fifth of a gram on one day, and then wait two days, and on the following fourth day I take another one so every third day I would take one which equates to 10 times a month mm-hmm. and what it's doing we know from our science looking at people on with brain scans on just the microdosing that it helps they can see the effects 
in the in the brain and it it reduces the amygdala's influence which is where our fear is rooted yeah, all our animal flight, all yeah. these yeah the primal instincts that aren't that we the old instinct we don't want to hold on to so it reduces those and it so it allows us to relax and have a sense of well-being it allows us to be clearer so that we can be more creative more organized so people microdosing is like for the moms who all would microdose during the day. Their kids are playing. They, they, you know, we know that people will smoke a little herb, and now people are microdosing and hanging out um, and doing uh-huh. things. So, but on a, <laughs> so we're gonna see. It's gonna that's gonna change our society as well because even on that microdose level, it's promoting well-being within someone, and it's not a it's not a pharmaceutical derivative that you have to get hooked to and keep on taking. I find many people will do microdosing for a couple months and feel like, oh, I don't need, I don't, yeah, I feel like I'll take a break. I don't need it, you know, anymore. And maybe they'll come back to it again. And it's really such a new thing for humans that you can really experiment on your own and see what works best for you. Some people will take a little more and they'll take it three days in a row and take two days off. And that's one of Paul Stamets' um, methods. And so it's really going to open up as well. And it makes psychedelics and mushrooms more accessible because it's one thing to do a microdose and you go about your day. So the mm-hmm. microdose is not going to impair your day so that you can't do what you normally do. That's, what, right. that's at the level of perception there. You could take mm-hmm. a little more, maybe make you more creative, but you're not having a, a journey. Right, where you have to stop your life and pay attention to yeah. everything that's going on internally. Yeah, exactly. So this you can, you know, vacuum, make lunch, you know, do other things. And it doesn't mm-hmm. give you a high, really. It's, it, you're saying it allows you to be more focused. Exactly, yes. It's not distracting you uh, because it's, it's subtle enough that it's working on a mind level where you, you'll have, oh, I'm, I feel more clear. My mind's more clear. My thoughts are more organized. I feel like I can do, be more productive or I can get things done in an easier fashion because it feels easier in my mind to do these things. Um, and then the sense of well-being of not having anxiety or people who have migraines, if the migraine's coming on and you microdose, there's people out there who will attest that the, it ends up, short-circuiting the coming on of the of the intense headache and it dissipates it so you don't go to the migraine wow that's phenomenal a lot of people would be happy to hear that yeah so my i think microdosing will definitely become part of the u.s culture just like um recreational marijuana is yeah mm-hmm well, and it keeps you on a more productive path. With marijuana, people tend to get kind of lazy and, you know, laid back to the point where things don't get done. But with microdosing, I'm hearing from people that they're becoming much more effective in their day. Yeah, it's it's super motivational because the the mushrooms are they're working on a mind level and. Someone who takes mushrooms, you realize that you're more intelligent than you ever thought you were. And not in an Mm -hmm. arrogant sort of way, but in this way that, wow, this mind actually, I can use it in a different way. And the mushrooms help show that. 
I'll tell you a quick story. One day I was up in Vermont at Sugarbush with a few friends from college, and we were skiing. And a couple of us took some mushrooms and went up to go skiing. We were up on a black diamond. So the black diamonds are the really tough mogul fields where it's yeah. dangerous, which, which people like myself shouldn't necessarily be there. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I won't kill myself, but it's probably not the best place to be. But yeah. I have to tell you this story because this is, shows how, intel, how incredibly intelligent the mushrooms are. Mm-hmm. I went down this mogul field like a professional. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you were high. You thought you were a professional and you weren't. It was that my body did not get stressed by it. it the, my mind was totally locked in like I had done this a thousand times. And I might have been wow. down a mogul field like twice in my life. So I was a decent <laughs> skier, but I didn't go mogul skiing. And my, my buddy, Jack, who was there again, you know, saw me. And, and I, I was like a professional skier. And what I learned from it, Patricia, was that it just shows how intelligent the mushrooms are, how they're able to take the, mind, the human mind and just take, kind of, not take over, but drive, yeah, drive, drive the whole process, and that allowed me, the next day, if I went down those black diamonds, I never could have hit them like I did, even after doing, experiencing it, and so that's the super mind that I'm, that I'm kind of talking about, and we can yes. take that same super mind and think on problems and come up with solu- unique solutions uh, through the mushrooms, and I feel that's what we're going to see in this world. I think so, and I think you're right. And not only that, but this is how the mushrooms see solutions in your body. Like this one, this experience shows you they found solutions for taking you through a black diamond mogul field. But for people that have illnesses, I think the mushrooms have the capability of doing the same thing, taking you through this, this dangerous field of illness and bringing you to safety, bringing you to wholeness, I think that that potential is there with mushrooms as well. And I've, I have read some studies where they're finding this is true, that people are feeling better on a physical level, not just a mental level. So autoimmune conditions, cancer, other things like that are improving through using psilocybin, which is great to know. It's, it's amazing. It is uh, how much all the different benefits that you mentioned from the, in the different individuals through the psilocybin mushrooms is it's um, to me it's unbelievable. I'm like, really, is this true? This is so amazing, and it now is, that it's coming yeah. out, you, you know, with the cancer research, what they're doing, they're helping these people to process their end of life, and people are becoming okay with it, and as opposed to maybe fear and all these other emotions that come up, and and loss and all this regret and what have you, and so many of them, the vast majority of them through this, these psychedelic experiences with the mushrooms are finding reconciliation on one journey, on just one. It's not like they're doing it once a month. They're doing it just once, and they have such a profound spiritual mind-body experience that they come to reconciliation, and they actually see things in the right way and are okay with their circumstances. That makes a big difference. Yeah, it really does. Now, you had a heart chakra experience at one point, too. Can you share that one with us? Sure. Uh, that wasn't psychedelic-induced, though. Oh, that but just happened? That just happened, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, in 1995, I... I had gone down into Mexico and 
early January, and we, I was in the rainforest for a couple months. And on March 21st for the equinox, I was heading up into the Yucatan Peninsula to a classic Mayan site called Chichen Itza. That's the, one of the main ones people go to when they fly to Cancun. And Chichen Itza has this stunning pyramid that everyone, if they see it, like, oh, that's the Chichen Itza pyramid. And it's basically this cosmic clock, and there's 91 steps on each side, and it's, it's aligned with all these solar alignments and planetary alignments. And on the equinox, on the spring and fall equinox, as the sun is heading into the west, it forms a, a, a serpent of light forms in the balustrade of the of the north stairway, and there's a huge serpent's head that's carved of single stone with these. It's five feet by four feet high, five feet wide. Huge stone with these spiral ears uh, at, for the snake. And so during the equinox, this forms these seven isosceles triangles of light and shadow that form the the back of the, the body of the snake. And so I was going up there with a bunch of people to do ceremony and to experience this, and I had been there before. But this year was different because there was a Mayan prophecy from the uh, 15th century, a Maya elder, a woman, who saw that their brothers flowing with the robes of the colors of the sun would come from the east and reconnect with their Mayan brothers and do ceremonies at the sacred sites. And so the Dalai Lama sent three emissaries on a tour to do ceremonies at these sites in 1995. So on the spring equinox day, I walked into Chichen Itza, and what happened, all these tourists are there, and at around three in the afternoon, they everyone's sitting on the west side of the pyramid to watch this unfold, this serpent of light, and it takes a few hours for it to unfold. And there's about twenty or 30,000 people that show up for this every year, locals and tourists. And so I had gone in in the morning with a few friends, uh, pilgrims, and we climbed up in the pyramid, and I went to the, into the temple in the middle, and I sat right, in the, right there and closed my eyes. And a few others sat around, and we ended up toning most of the day, and tourists were coming in and out, I didn't open my honestly I didn't open my eyes the whole time. And oh at goodness. one point I heard a voice in Spanish and it was a guard who was telling everybody they have to come down because the light show's happening and we need to get off the pyramid. So I had my eyes closed and I sat there for a few more minutes and when I opened up my eyes there was no one there but me. So I sat there for a little while. <laughs> And, and I'm like, oh, and I know that there's a bunch of people down there once I step out. I know there's a lot of people because I've been there before. But then I hear this toning, and there's someone toning down below. And so I stand up, and I look out, and I see these three Tibetan monks on the grass in front of the north side of the pyramid that are just oming. They're doing their toning. So I walk down the 91 steps straight towards them. And when I step onto the grass, this indigenous elder, uh, she was a Toltec elder, she had a red dress on and these blue eyes. And she came and stood in front of me, and she embraced me in, hu in, in a hug. And then she, while she was still embracing me, she stepped back and she looked me in the eyes and she said, all is love. And then she mm. stepped away, and as soon as she stepped away, my heart chakra burst open. 
And what I mean by that is this burst of energy from the width of my chest exploded and I could feel this beam of energy and it was hitting the three Tibetan monks who were standing about 30 feet from me. Gosh. And I'd never had an experience like this before. It was quite profound. There was a tear going, coming down my eye. And I turned to the crowd and I could feel this beam hitting the individual people that were within, that were in my direct uh, line of, of sight. Mm. And so I stood there, and there was a gentleman who was leading. He was then started speaking at this microphone, and he was kind of motioning me to come over, but I chose not to. And it was one of those regrets in my life because I I flew in in Spanish, and I could have spoke to the people in Spanish and in English. Oh but the interesting thing was that that energy kept there. And even the next day, it calmed down during the night a little bit. But the next day when mm-hmm. I re-entered the site, it, kind of, it amped up again. And mm-hmm. I could feel it. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. And then the following day, we were heading over to Merido, which is a colonial city a couple hours away. And I was driving a van, and there was some people, had a full group of people. Just as we were entering the outskirts of the of the city, I could feel the chakra closing, and I could feel and sense it was like the thousand petal lotus, what they talk about yeah. with these chakra systems. I literally could see the on a spiritual level the closing of these petals, and I realized it was closing down because it was protecting itself from the dense vibration of the urban city we were just entering, and I was mm. just like, oh, that's so beautiful. Now, the takeaway for me is that to this day, I can at will project energy out of my heart chakra. Um, oh, my God. So I, I have, yeah, I have, that, and that, that energy is love. It's only love. And that's the, the lasting takeaway that I got from that experience. What a gift. So that's just pure love that you can share with people, anybody, whenever anybody. you want. Yes. Yeah. That is great. It's a fount of a fount of endless joy and happiness. <laughs> My goodness. Yes, that's 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 remarkable. Now do you think that that was an experience that you had because in some part uh you had contact with a Toltec elder? She she activated it. Yeah. She somehow she activated that experience for me. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would never, I don't know what her intention was in doing that, but she felt, you know, compelled to do what she did, and she activated that experience for me. Yeah, that's that's just incredible. And, you know, don't you think this is what we're missing in America today? We are. We're missing real, genuine, spiritual experiences. And yeah. You know, we're so bogged down in the institutional religions, and the institutional religions are good because they kind of conserve morality in a way, but they're also, as we know, a huge hindrance to the individual personal spiritual experience. And my mm-hmm. experience, Patricia, is that all everyone has their own unique experiences, that there's no uniformity within the experiences other than that these ideas of divine love and truth and these high values that we have, but otherwise the individual experience is, is 
is is so personal. So people, it's so important that people go and do, if they're inclined to have these psychedelic experiences so that they can have these spiritual experiences that are very difficult to get in any other manner. Yes, right. And here we are in a culture that has criminalized the plant itself, the mushroom itself. And hopefully all of that's going to change all across the country in the best possible way. But it's so it's so good that you're here on the show sharing this with everybody so we know what's possible. You know, and they haven't even begun to really scratch the surface, I think, on how mushrooms can heal. And even uh Stamets talks about his experience with stuttering and how he stuttered his whole life and then he, he had a very powerful psilocybin experience where I don't know if he said no more stuttering or stop stuttering. It was something very firm. So he just said it, and that was it. That was the last time he ever had to deal with stuttering. So what a great thing. That's so amazing. It's just it's like the gentleman with the OCD who's it stopped. Right. And so there's going to be so many more of these experiences like this. He stopped stuttering. Who knows what it is for it? Another individual, you know, it could be their, whatever their, that fear is of theirs, and all of a sudden they're not fearful of it anymore. Or that limitation that always holds them back from doing the right thing, there's no more limitation there. They're driven and drawn to do what the internal spirit is guiding them to do. And then that's the fulfillment of our individual destiny in this short lifetime, to, to follow that spirit within. And the mushrooms help us to become more spiritual by clearing the way and showing us what is real, your true reality. Exactly. Well, and how much of this with illness, whether it be mental or physical, is just bad programming, and Mm-mm. we're stuck in it. So the yeah, here come the a mushrooms. lot of it is mostly programming, right? I mean, we can tell yeah. if we tell ourselves we're inadequate, and or we feel that you know that sensation of inadequate, and we play this these tapes over in our head, then that's the perception we have for ourselves. We're not going to be able to do much in the world. We're not going to be of much help. <laughs> no. You know, we, we need not, to get healthy mentally. Exactly. And how much of our physical illness is caused by this poorly programmed mental situation? So here come the mushrooms, and they can start new pathways. They can bring you out of the hamster wheel and bring you down a different path. So... It's. I wish I knew more about this Tokyo story. You and I were talking about it before the show. And, uh, God, I wish I could remember the details. But they were working with mycelium somewhere in Tokyo, and there was a map of the subway. And the mushrooms basically redesigned the entire subway system more efficiently than anybody could have even imagined. The mushrooms did this, and they were astounded. But I think that's what can happen with us as individuals that are struggling with illness or discomfort on some level. The mushrooms know how to break through that. Yeah, they, they, you're right. They are healing both the mind and the body. Um, and it just shows, it's like the flexibility, the diversity of the mushroom. It has so many qualities and attributes. It brings so much to the personal human experience. And it seems it's, it'll cater itself 
to whatever one's particular needs or shortcomings are, per se, or uh, if it's an illness, to give some relief in some way with that. And so it just shows that there's this cosmic mind, this attenuation of the cosmic mind that's within these mushrooms that is a it's of individual service to the individual. And that's so wonderful mm-hmm. that these, this, their life fulfillment in some way is to be consumed by mortals and to help the mortals progress in the united spirit of life, to understand their, our individual place within the wider existence. And it gives us a sense of something that's beyond just this world. And that's, you know, the, the spiritual realms and the, and the higher self. And it's, 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 as you're talking here and I'm talking with you, I'm just so inspired by the, the qualities and attributes of the mushrooms. That I, you know, I want to go on the rooftops and shout it out and say, hey, let's all do it know, at once. Really. Maybe we can attain world peace if we all do this at once. I guarantee you. I mean, really? Yes. We'll still yes, have to bring exactly. it about, but we'll all know what it I is. I know. Well, yeah, I mean, because if people are not, you know, just being consumed by their own suffering, which a lot of people are, then what is possible? Anything. All things are possible all the time is what I remember one teacher used to say. And certainly with mushrooms, that is even more true. So I'm very excited uh, to see all of these possibilities. And to have you here, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show to to talk to us about what you've experienced personally and also what you've seen with people, with the microdosing, with the larger dosing. I mean, they all have their own gifts to offer. But we definitely need help in, in our culture today. And this yeah, is a I great think I, to I, do it. I do believe the mushrooms were given to us for, for exactly what we're finding their benefit to be, for spiritual mind and, and body healing. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, to me, it just allows me to reflect on the origin of them and our obligation to this higher universe calling that we all have individually and as a group. You know, we have this common origin, a common heritage, and we have a common destiny. And if we can, as a as a collective, abide by these truths and these facts, then we can we'll we'll be able to f- figure out all that solutions to all our problems that are rapidly coming upon us with climate change and all these other issues. I, none of it's beyond the scope of the solutions that the mushrooms in the cosmic mind will provide to us. I just feel well, so that's good about it. it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's again, this is great. And again, you're way ahead of everybody doing what you did back in the 90s and, and having these experiences that set the tone for your life. I mean, it must feel wonderful to look back on this and know that this is a part of your experience, is touching God, basically, uh, is, is what happened. How they guide, exciting. They, they, they guide me to this day, those experiences. No kidding. Oh, my goodness. That's great. Now, yeah. do you have a book out about all of this? No, I've, I've written several articles over the over the years, so I have articles, but I don't have a book. You know, a mm-hmm. funny thing, just to wrap up, I, I went down into Guatemala to meet Don Alejandro, who's the head of the Quiche Maya, because I wanted to see his calendars. And the Maya have these various calendars measuring different right. cycles. And I, I was, one of the things I asked him after I parted with him after, um, after doing some ceremony in several days, 
I asked him for some advice, and he said, well, one of the things you can do is you can write a book. And then he gave me a couple other things. So it was so interesting that he, and that was back in probably 97, 98. Um, but I have yet to write that book because <laughs> I'm, there's, there's one experience that I'm waiting for that I hasn't happened yet. And I feel that when that happens, then the book will get written. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> well, you're going to have to come back on the show once that happens so that we can talk more about this fabulous subject and promote your book. So that would be great. But, Bob, thank you. This has just been so wonderful to hear about all of this from somebody who's knowledgeable and who's had personal experiences. You have the best of both worlds that you brought to the show tonight. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Patricia. You really you provided me an opportunity to share as well, and it's valuable that we share the revelations and the insights and the experiences that we have because the more we share, the more people will go out there and, and try new things like this. So, yes, you. and yes, oh, you're so welcome. And, yeah, we need to get this so that we can use it legally here in Massachusetts and other states. So everybody also watch that show if you haven't already, How to Change Your Mind on Netflix. It will give you more information about all of these subjects in psychedelics and healing. So, Bob, thank you again. And, hey, everybody, we'll be back next week with another great show on synchronicity. How does it come to be? Why does it happen? You're going to find out next week with Dr. Beitman. So until then, I'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Hey, Bob, that was great. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome, Patricia. I hope it came out okay. I hope I was um, articulate enough and not too mumble-jumble. Yes. No, no, <laughs> you did a great job. Believe me, it was wonderful. In fact, I just got a text from Deborah. She was listening. She said, what a fabulous show. So mm, she good. loved it. I know everybody loved it, and a lot of people will be listening to it, you know, tomorrow and the next day because it's archived. So immediately upon uh, my ending this episode, it'll be available on Blog Talk and other outlets, iHeart and everybody else will get it too. Awesome. Well, that's great. Yeah. I'm, and now it's 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 recorded, so that's good. It's People can yep. benefit from it. And yep, you can give people the same the exact same link too. Uh, it's, okay. it's now the, sa- the same link and you can just share that wherever you want with whomever you want. So feel free to do that. And let me know, you know, if there's anything new that comes up that you want to talk about on the show, just, you know, give me a call. Yeah. Do you, is it always radio? Yeah. No visuals? I used to do a radio show with um, with video. 
And then I left that platform, and I've been looking for a new platform ever since. So I'm hoping to find one eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, maybe down the road I can share some content that I of stuff I put together, and you can say, oh, maybe that's an interesting topic, and we can, you know, ha- yeah. discuss it and stuff. Yeah. Um, that would be great. Anything like that would be super. So just keep me aware of what you think would be of interest. I will. Okay. Well, thanks so much, and say hi to Amy for me, too. I will. It was great. Again, thanks for having us, and um, I look forward to continuing this relationship. Yeah, me too. Well, you have a great night, Bob. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care, Patricia. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.